Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But, but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey folks, how y'all doing out there? Once again, here we go, profane faith in the place to be. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. How y'all doing out there? My goodness, what a lot has transpired over the last few weeks here. Um, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed last week's uh, episode. If you haven't heard last week's episode, or if this is your first time listening to Profane Faith, I would recommend you going back last week and just, uh, you know, listening into the conversation that I had with my good friends, Dom and, um, and Janelle and uh, my man, Sean, um, because you know, we're still at it um, in terms of just black bodies being killed. And, um, you know, there was more videos that surfaced this week of things going on. Um, that's always distressing. I try not to watch a lot of them just because they are very disturbing and they're triggering uh, for somebody like myself who has endured um, the brutality of white supremacy. Uh, having grown up in Texas and, uh, you know, experienced the Klan firsthand, um, police, you know, terrorism that I call um, that again firsthand. I mean, all those things, right, affect me and particularly as it pertains to just my own, you know, selfhood and self-being and, and mental health, really. Um, yeah, I elect a lot of times just not this, to watch some of those videos because it is, it's triggering. Um, and, um, and I get it. I mean, they're out there. It's the world we live in right now. We're hell, hell of voyeuristic and we like seeing that type of stuff. And I'm not sure where I land on the notion of having those videos out there, whether they're bad, whether they're good, whether we shouldn't be, um, seeing them. Um, I think I just continually come back to is like, what, what's going to change? Um, and this COVID-19, as you know, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, uh, is disproportionately affecting, uh, black folks. And so I don't know, I am just definitely in a state of lament. Um, at the same time, conversely, um, you know, that's mixed, you know, as we, as humans, we're not just all one thing all the time. Um, you know, I am enjoying just the pets in the house. <laughs> uh, today, the uh, we busted out the big tube. Uh, my daughter has a uh, to train animals, she trains pets, our dog, excuse me. <laughs> and um, we have a huge like tube and whatnot. And we just laid it out in the, 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 the living room and, in, you know, which leads into our sitting room. And uh, we just had just fun with the pets. 
right? Just the cats are in there, the dogs are in there, and just that those little things, those little things of sanity and um, preciseness with connecting, you know, with another living being and then just the joy that pets bring. I don't know if you own pets or if you're allergic or whatever, but I tell you, I don't know what life would look like without pets right now. And they're really a spiritual journey. I mean, I really do see pets as a connection to the spirit world. Animals can see things that we can't. Um, and I don't want to get too scientific here, but um you know, there's a lot of writings just on cats alone about just their own energy and the energies they bring uh, into spaces and just, you know, their connection to the supernatural um, and, uh, you know, dogs as protectors. And so um, I don't know. They bring a lot of joy in our life in a very gloomy um dark time. Um, and it feels like, you know, uh, you know, what's what's the ending going to look like? Uh no one really knows, right? So, um, yeah, that's that's been my highlight. And uh, and for those of you wondering, you know, about my story, and again, this is your first time. If you've been listening to the podcast um, since day one, I know, like my boy Dr. Gay Vias, he's been listening since day one. Shout out, big shout out to the to Dr. Vias out there. If you haven't heard his episode, just rewind a couple episodes. You'll hear about his story as well. But if you're interested in my story and you're wondering, like, wow, what happened to him? Just go back to uh, episode one. That's my story. Um, I wanted to put it on audio and I wanted to just share my own story because I, you know, I get asked a lot. So um, it's there. And I also post it up on my websites and, um, you know, just so people can hear and just, you know, what has happened in my life. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's important because y'all all have stories and insight as well. But, uh, you know, I think I think and then all those things are important. Um, you know, when we start thinking about what what is it going to take to survive? What is it going to take to make it? Um, you know, been having a conversation with uh, my good friend, Mark, who's a uh, ex uh, officer of the law. Uh, brother man had a uh, and he's actually been on the show as well. So that's back in season one. Um Mark Skiles, he um, he is. If you're listening, shout out to you, Mark, too. Um, yeah, he he was a former police officer, and you know saw the light. You know, and stories like that always they're always amazing to me, right? You know, because we were like again, we were having a conversation this week about just you know just some of the things that we as black folk have to endure and and deal with. I mean, you know, um, you know, my daughter she loves horses, and uh, I never in a thousand years would have thought. Horses. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like my wife plays tennis. I was in background in football myself. And, you know, we always thought, oh, soccer or, you know, baseball or uh, even though she is kind of into baseball, but not as much as horses. Horses is like her thing, like jumping, like jumping three and four feet with with the horses. Right. Stuff that I would never do. I mean, when I have ridden horses, I always ride Western. She rides English, which if you know anything about saddles, English doesn't have the little knob in front. And so um, that's some scary shit right there, yo. <laughs> You know what I'm saying I'm like, nah, I'm good. I need the little bar. I need Western. You know what I'm saying? I need the little nub in front of me. So, um, yeah, she rides those. And anyways, you know, they're in the city. Come on. There's no place to ride. So we got to go out to the suburbs. And so I always get the hair. I've talked on this. I've talked about this on the show. Oh, man. Ad nauseum. And, um, you know, every time I, my hairs in the back of my head always stand up, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, in, in this whole era and whatnot, it, all it takes is one white person to be like, hey, look, who's that? And then the next thing you know, right? And especially with all the stuff that's now emerging with Ahmad, right? It's like, 
we're seeing just what was going on in that neighborhood, right? And in, in the connection that uh, they had with the police department, uh, the fact that uh, even one of the, I think one of the prosecutors was just like, hey, talk to these guys, the guys who shot Ahmad. Um, they'll take care of anything for you there, um, you know, and just the cover up that was happening there. Uh, it, you know, this type of shit, just the, the, the lethality of white supremacy in this country that goes much deeper than just white people. Um, this is the policies. These are the laws. And we're seeing, right? I mean, we're seeing, I mean, this is what gets me a little bit about COVID, right? Um, is that white, particularly white men think they are just above the law, right? It's like, I see folks like this other day we were walking. Well, this is yesterday. Um, my wife was like, oh man, you know, we were at, we were, you know, we circle around, we try to do about three miles a day and we, the park we go to, which is our marker, um, you know, she saw some tennis balls going, she's like, oh, they opening up the parks again? And, you know, no, they're not. They all have, you know, all the tape on them, like, you know, do not enter. But there's a white guy in there, right? Just going in there, playing against the wall, you know, he's hitting his ball, but I'm just like, still, I'm like, oh, the rules don't apply to you. But far be it for somebody to take a knee during a football game, right, uh, against police brutality, against the realness of what's happening, right? Um, far be it for that to happen, Dell. That's 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 unpatriotic. That is somebody who is a monster, a demonic presence, right? Oh, my gosh. And so I think those things are just what wear on you. So for those of you who have been in that, I mean, I highly recommend and those of you who have been involved in kind of the movement, whatever you want to call the movement, highly recommend y'all taking a break <laughs> and getting some time with pets or something in the yard yesterday. I, you know, spent time hoeing the lawn and enjoying my green, deep green, lush grass. Uh, you know, if you know me, I, I love I love me some uh some gardening. Well, mainly grass. I like grass and uh, not the marijuana, even though it is legal here in um, Illinois. I might need to look into that maybe too. Um, but um, it, yeah, I just, I just like grass, grass seed and uh, mowing and uh, core aeration and mulching and all that good stuff. So um, that stuff is great, right? Because you can see instant gratification, you know, with that or even with the seed. Like I love the anticipation that seeds bring. Right. What are the small spiritual things that you can do to connect, right? To be with the earth, to be connect yourself, be to be grounded. I highly recommend doing those things because we don't all have answers. We don't have solutions for what's coming next. Um, and it's it's a bit of feeling like helplessness, right? Like feeling helpless about what what is going on. And so I do. I encourage you all to do those things that you need to do to stay sane. Well, my guest this week, uh, this is actually a conversation I recorded way back, um, a while back. As you know, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before. Some of the conversations I've had, uh, you know, occurred a while back and, you know, in all intent, I tried to get them out earlier, but then something else pops up like last week, you know, I was going to run this episode, but then I, you know, the whole of my bass, like we got to. We got to have a conversation about that. So those things tend to take precedent. And that's kind of the way the, the show kind of runs. And, and I thank my guests for being flexible on that. Uh, but this uh, this this week, uh, my guest is Adam McClain. Um, I met Adam, oh, man, years back. I think we this is why, back when I was still trying to make things work in, in the youth ministry world, right? You know, and we were at a lot of those different conferences. I think AYME, Association of Youth Ministry Educators, um, we met there, or CCDA, one of those. Um 
And you know, he's he's I I like what Adam is about. I really do. And I wanted to get him on the show because I think what he's doing uh down in San Diego, uh particularly all the crap that's still happening at the border that hasn't gone away even though it's not necessarily in the news, right? Uh that stuff's still going on down the border. You know, he's involved in that. He's engaged with that as a white man, as a privileged white man, which you'll talk about, you'll hear here in the interview. He's doing something. Um He's a partner at the uh, Youth Cartel and principal at McLean Creative. Um, uh, Kristen and Adam, as well, Kristen, his wife, they live in San Diego, neighborhood of Rolando, uh, with their three kids. He grew up in South Bend, Indiana. He's a lifelong fan of Notre Dame, a uh, proud graduate of Clay High School. And then after high school, he moved to Chicago area. And uh, before they moved to Northern California and then to uh, then they went back to Detroit and now they're in San Diego. So he's kind of been around the block a little bit. And I wanted to get Adam on to just kind of h- highlight of what are some things that particularly white folks can do and in, in, in their environment, right? We're in Chicago. We're not a border city. Um, he's in San Diego. If you know anything about San Diego, that is a border town straight up. I mean, the the, the border is minutes away, right? Um, in San Diego, Tijuana, and then you're entry into Mexico. So I uh, just, I wanted to just highlight some of the things that he's doing and just his own path and discovery as a white male, as a white Christian male, uh, and what, and, and how those things come together. So I actually think the timing is perfect on this in the midst of having conversations of race and religion. And should we go back to, you know, work in the COVID-19? I'm blown away by the amount of people who think COVID-19 is fake. Um, and that it's just put on by the government. I'm just, wow. I mean, this must be the same people, right? I think the earth is still flat. Um, but that's where a different conversation will have that. But I wanted to bring him on. Um, and I think it's a good time to bring him on in regards to what are white folks doing out there uh, to make a difference. And this is one of them, making a difference, again, because there's still stuff going on at the border. Um, and so I'll post all of his materials uh, in the show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com. And uh, yeah, y'all can check it out there. But uh, hopefully you enjoy this conversation and y'all stay safe. Do things that, again, bring you some peace of mind and peace of spirit. Those are spiritual practices. Don't let anyone tell you differently. And also, don't let anyone try to tell you, um, like, you know, this is wrong or this is bad or this is that. Like, look, if God is speaking to you in a particular way, for me, it's the pets. For me, it's the garden. For me, it's it's doing things outside, you know, especially now, you know, in Chicago, that the sun's actually coming out. Those are important things to be doing. What is your thing that you're doing to bring some 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 sanity into your life, to bring some spiritual rootedness uh, into your life? That's a serious question, right? Uh, otherwise, you know, you can end up in a in a really dark spot, and none of us want that, right? All right, y'all. Well, listen. Have a great week. Enjoy this conversation. Check it out. Cool, man. Well, um, man, Adam, welcome to uh, Profane Faith. Good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Man, now I'm trying to think, man, where do we meet? Was it AYME? Was it CCDA? I mean, one of those. I think so. Probably first met AYME or maybe, I really know. I mean, I think our our worlds are intertwined a little bit. Um, You know, I know you're not doing as much youth ministry stuff back when, when when you were. Um, I think that's kind of how we got introduced. And remember, we had you out, out to uh, one of our events at one point, and 
And yeah, I think that's kind of how it all got kicked off. Okay. All right. All right, man. Well, you know, for folks, definitely want to get into some of the stuff that you're working on now. And But for folks who don't know who you are and what you up to, man, what is what has life been like from uh, from birth to now? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, in South Bend, Indiana, went to school in Chicago. And um, long story short, find myself now uh, living in San Diego, work with Marco Stryker at the Youth Cartel, where we're, um, you know, doing all sorts of, we think, interesting things and in trying to help youth workers, um, you know, refine themselves in a lot of ways. All right. And, uh, in their capacity and so forth. Um, and then, I mean, honestly, right now, my life is, I'm most concentrating on just being a dad, being involved in my community, uh, and living out my faith um, real time. So that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm up to right now. What um so uh, yeah so break that down because I know I know Mark I've known him you know for a while and whatnot man I, I, let me yeah let's back into that like youth ministry world because yes I've been heavily involved in that for for many many years and and while. The focus of a lot of the stuff that I do now is, you know, changed a little bit. I mean, I've always had a heart for young people and and whatnot. And how I mean, what is what has that been like for you in terms of just uh, engagement, theological alignment, all that material and whatnot? Um, what's that? How's that been? And 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 particularly with what's going on with like Mark, because I believe he because he they didn't he used to do. Didn't they used to do the once a year conferences, but then they stopped those or something like that? Those cartel ones. Am I thinking about that right? Yeah. That's what you were part of. You were part of the summit. And uh, we did that for a few years. And Marco and I have a, a very simple uh, measurement for if we continue things or not. Is it fun? You know, and so for yeah. us, the summit, it stopped being fun um, and it started being too much. Um, and not enough fun. Um, and as much as we loved the format of what we were doing is essentially it was TED Talks for youth ministry. Um, we loved that. People loved it. It just was at least being fun when you, you know, you need to to start hiring, you know, uh, sound and light people and, you know, all of your all of your money starts going out the back door to vendors and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just that's not why we were doing it. We were doing because we were like more like intellectually curious about the exploration of ideas. Um, and you know, long story short, we don't we don't really know nothing about doing events. So <laughs> um, we focus on what we're good at. So no, I mean, and that's what's up. I mean, I, I definitely respected it. I think I was it uh, one of one of the last events or something like that. And and I was always curious, like what market barely you know just said. And he's like, yeah, this could be a last year. And so I was like, man, what? Wait, what happened? But that makes sense. I mean, and I know, you know, um, you know, we used to have our own little, you know, conference here at North Park, you know, when I used to run the youth ministry department and stuff, man. And just after a while, we were just like, yeah, just the same questions that you were asking and whatnot. I mean, how let me so let me ask this before we get into the other stuff. How have you seen like conferencing? Because I got a whole thought process on conferencing, but I mean, I'd be curious um, I, I don't know if you're still like involved with different conferences and whatnot, but how have you seen that? Is that a throwback to the old, like the modern era where we need to gather to kind of, you know, uh, collectively gather information and then take it back? And like what, you know, what what does that look like, you know, in your estimation now, particularly with youth culture? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that 
I don't think we've seen any advancement or change in in that conferencing model. I think it's a uh, you know it's 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 a way for a a tribe of people to get together and to convalesce <laughs> or to yeah. have a shared uh, shared values and things like that. I think there's certainly um, a lot of value in in your tribe getting together and you you know talking about your work life and so on and so forth. I think I think a lot of times youth ministry people, particularly in the church, are probably the least healthy. And so having having anything there they can get together and be normalized and have adult conversations and do you know things that don't involve leading a youth group um, is super helpful for them. Um, I personally have kind of withdrawn myself from from going to them. I've just, um, yeah, I just didn't have felt, uh, it's, not, it's not the way I learn <laughs> personally. Yeah. So, you know, I've just kind of, I've done a couple of things. One is I've just completely cut um, non-essential travel out of my life altogether. Um, you know, I've just, you know, I, the, the joke in the house is that, our, you know, our, our church is our neighborhood and we want to really take that seriously. And so it felt weird to go to conferences, even as a speaker and to postulate about things that were true in my neighborhood or true of myself. But um, but at the same time, I wasn't able to do them because I was on the road. You know, it just felt yeah. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of that was kind of the the you know, kind of where I'm at with that thing. I think, I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of value in conferences. There certainly is for a certain personality type. There's nothing like being in an arena, you know, with 3000 people who do what you do and you're singing worship songs. That's just not my personality type. Um, I like putting those events on, um, but I don't really particularly personally enjoy them. And so, yeah. 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 No. Yeah. I think as a sidebar, I mean, I've, I've even kind of like, this is an exception. I've kind of stopped doing the podcasts and all those other things because, you know, my mom told me if you don't have anything nice to say, you shouldn't say anything at all. And so I've been like, <laughs> we're in a difficult moment and it's really hard, particularly like in Q&A, if I'm doing a seminar, just to not tee off on people and be like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, I mean, that's, I mean, this, I mean, that's particularly why I think, you know, I follow you on Twitter and whatnot and, it was why, and we've had, you know, several just offline conversations, man. And so I, and that's probably why I wanted to have you on the show so we could tee off just a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, we ain't got to bash nobody, but I'd be curious, man. I mean, this is a question that I've continually asked on this show. And one of the reasons why I, you know, even got into podcasting and just this form of expression uh, was after the 2016 election. And it, it, you, you bring up a, a great point about the, the era and time that we um, that we live in. Can you can you expound on that a little bit more? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, my so my my own personal religious history of, you know, I became a Christian pretty much in high school. Um, I would describe my 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 parents as um, as good people, but hedonistic in their their expectations of their children. OK, so. Grew up, you know, where my parents encouraged us to go party and to all, you know, remember my parents both saying like, you want to have as much fun as you possibly can in high school. Cause when you get married, you know, your life is over. Um, I mean, so, that, <laughs> so I mean, I just kind of came from a different side of, of, uh, of things. And then, you know, as an 18 year old, I ended up on the campus at Moody Bible Institute, having no knowledge of like evangelical culture, even existing, um, much less, you know, enculturated to it whatsoever. And so I was kind of always the, you know, <laughs> the weird kid on campus or, or so on and so forth in that, that conservative context. But my, 
you know, I feel like my my theological strain hasn't changed at all. I feel like I'm the same person I was in my undergrad and even when I did, you know, a little bit of graduate work and when I worked at churches. But um, we've seen a, just a massive veering to the right and a massive exposure of the real reason why churches never integrated. And, and to not hear people talking about that is completely disheartening to me. And it's really, you know, I feel like a... I feel like evangelicalism has lost me, you know, as much as I don't think I've really changed. I just feel like they went so far to the right and so far to the exclusionary of anybody who's not a suburban white person. I just, I feel a little, you know, personally lost right now in that, you know, so. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it makes, I mean, it makes sense. And what, so when you say, I mean, like, you know, what are some of the things for you that have, that haven't changed and, you know, like in, in comparison, you know, in terms of just your faith and just uh-huh. where, you know, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I give an example of my pacifism. So I've always, I've always been a city dweller my entire adult life. We lived in Chicago. Um, you know, now we live in urban San Diego. I've always been an anti personal gun ownership person. I feel like uh, from a, just as a Christian, I don't understand how somebody can own a gun for personal protection without that being some form of premeditation. Um, you know, so, but that's, that's my pacifistic uh, inclination. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, that hasn't changed. Like I have writings from that from 15 years ago about, about that, but all of a sudden now I'm a problem, you know, because <laughs> if you're, yeah, if you're telling Christians that maybe they should think about the reason that they own guns because you know Jesus cares about our hearts, then all of a sudden I'm against the Second Amendment, which is somehow in the Bible now. So it's like, you know, there's there's been that. That's what I mean by that veering to the right. Yeah. Of, like there, you what drew me as a 16 year old to evangelicalism was what I felt like was an intellectual honesty, where you could ask big questions. You could, you know, explore things because it was really about finding truth. And now it's about something else that I can't quite put my finger on necessarily. Okay. But the intellectual honesty is out the window. You know, it's just (laughs) you either comply with these uh, with these people's uh, beliefs or all of a sudden you're a heretic. And it's like, that's just not that's frustrating to me. You know, that's not. Yeah. Well, no longer. Go ahead. You know, you just can't. You're not even allowed to ask questions anymore then that's not faith. That's something else. That's, you know, that's just straight up religion. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, and I think, I mean, that's interesting that you say that because I, a, um, I recently had a, a meeting with my supervisor just to kind of have a conversation around this very issue. Like what does disagreeing look like? What does, um, when somebody says, well, as long as you don't bash the, you know, whatever, as long as you don't bash the denomination, as long as you don't bash the church, Right, but it feels like we're we're at a point where you know we we can't even have conversations that that surround that. Right, I've got people, you know, where I'm at, you know, wanting to sign these, wanting wanting everybody to sign these documents about you know statement of. And it's not even a statement of faith; it's just a statement on human sexuality. And I'm like, really? Like, there's all this stuff that's going on, and you're still tied up on this particular issue. But we can't even have the conversation because if you do, like you said, it's it's well, I- right. <laughs> it's 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 complete heresy and it's complete uh, madness. So, uh, how have you navigated some of those things? And I mean, quite honestly, I mean, what what does church look like for you in your current context? Well, 
I would put it as, like I said earlier, you know, my, my community has become my church. Um, and, you know, so you can kind of go <laughs> as a part of going to church where I, I feel like church got in the way of my ministry, to be perfectly honest. If, you know, I don't, yeah, I feel like Jesus didn't say love your church as yourself. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. We lean into that hard. Um, and so, you know, we're at a place where, you know, we've drawn some lines and, and specifically not attended a church anymore yeah. over, over some things, over saying like, hey, look, this conversation on human sexuality is essentially over in our culture. Uh, theology is informed by culture. If the culture has decided on this issue, then it's time for y'all to move on. Um, and so, Whoa. you know, churches <laughs> that, that play coy about things and say, you know, we're side of this or side that, like, it's literally, it's just time to move on. Like, I'm, I'm tired of the side A and the side B conversation that's like, you know, 15 years old. Um, it's just time to move on. And so, like, when I can't really be a part of a denomination or whatever that comes out and says we're against, you know, LGBT or whatever, that's, I, I just can't do that anymore. And so, you know, I, yeah, so we've drawn some lines and said, you know, they're, you know, a couple specific issues that we won't be a party to. We won't be a party of women in ministry conversations. We won't be a party to human sexuality conversations. We're just not, we're past that as a, you know, I can't even speak for my wife, but just as for myself that um, I don't want to participate. Um, and so what does that mean? That means I focus on my neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, perfectly honest. Um, you know, I live in a community that we describe as the older neighborhood of San Diego. It's basically where, you know, people hit their 40s and 50s and and the club life isn't fun anymore and they want to have a family and a, and, and a dog and all the other stuff. And so they moved to they moved to Rolando. And uh, so we have a lot of a lot of gay couples. And um, and yeah. And so that that's who my community is made up of that and a bunch of immigrants. And so that that informs uh, my day to day life. Okay, good. All right. So, so, so break that down. I know when, you know, I've, I've again, followed you on, on Twitter and for those of you listening, of course, as always, I'll put all this stuff in the um, show notes, but I, I'd be curious, man, how have y'all lived? Cause you, you're in Southern California and, and, you know, in what's considered a border state and particularly a border town. Um, how have you dealt with this whole immigration thing? And like, what's, you've been on the ground you've been seeing this stuff. You've been in the mix, brother. So what, Talk about that, man. Like, what's what's that? What's what's going on? Because right, you get you get opinions from both sides, right? You get CNN that just kind of wants to show, you know, just so they can get ratings. Uh, you know, some kid crying, but then you got the right that says, "Oh, they're lying. It's not that bad." And these are people who are illegally here, and you know, they're rapists, they're murderers, they're thugs, <laughs> right? So, what's been what's been going on, man? What's 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 happening on that end of things? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, just the local context is super important. So. The vast majority of San Diegans never go to Mexico. We live like as soon as we're done with this 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 conversation, I'm getting in a van and I'm driving down to a migrant shelter, and somebody donated money that I'm going to go buy food with, and that's what they're going to eat for the next ten days. Um, huh, okay. I drive across the border fairly regularly, but very few San Diegans do that. Um, I don't have a percentage for you, but I would just say way less than half ever go to Mexico. Um, and so you constantly hear in the community things like, oh, we used to go to Mexico when we were kids and we used to go shopping and so on and so forth. And I said, well, when was the last time you went? Oh, like 20 years ago. Okay. And so <laughs> that really speaks to that, um, that, you know, that's when, when, when fear became more sexy than sex on TV. Right. So, um, you know, that, that's the world that we're living on is that just, it's, it sells fear. And that fear is we don't go to Mexico. Well, why, why don't you go to Mexico? Oh, well, I don't really know. 
And so, you know, anyway, so that's the context that I live in. Um, and then so when the migrant caravan stuff started happening last about a year ago, this time you started hearing about this caravan right right in front of the elections. Um, I started paying attention because I, I care about those kinds of things. And when they arrived in San Diego or in, uh, in Tijuana, it was very clear to me when we went and visited um, right around Thanksgiving, I guess, that the city of Tijuana had no idea what to do. There were 6,000 refugees essentially <laughs> hanging out in the streets and they were just like, they didn't know what to do with them. And so they put them in a baseball field, like literally like at a park in a baseball diamond and really inhumane conditions. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, we just started getting involved. Uh, quite literally, me and a neighbor walked across the border one day and found the um, the the group of about 6,000 people. And we walked up to the city official who was kind of like receiving donations and said, dude, what do you need? And uh, which I said in really bad Spanish. But uh, <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and then so he gave me a list of things. I went home. I put them on next door and my neighbors showed up and uh, and that was that, you know, they they. You know, yeah, so we started doing that. I pretty much drove back and forth to TJ to those migrant shelters from like Thanksgiving until mid-January every day, sometimes twice a day, uh, just bringing supplies. We would just walk up to a shelter and say, what do you need? I'd go home and put it on next door or Facebook or whatever. Then things would show up in my driveway and we would put them in the minivan and we would drive across the border. Um, and so we've pretty much been doing that. Um, so I've been highly engaged with the migrant situation. Um, I'm not like I wouldn't call myself an expert. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not I'm not involved in in like their personal each individual's personal story. Uh, we we right at this point, I meet their physical needs. So we partner with a church that has completely transformed their entire congregation. Really um, is, you know, <laughs> their their building is now a migrant shelter. And we we uh, partner with that that church and we provide basically protein and vegetables uh, about every 10 days. So, wow. Wow, wow. So, yeah, man, that's so this is real deal, man. And so what have you observed in terms of just like the wall and all this kind of other stuff? I mean, you know, that you again, the media and I and I bring the media up particularly because, well, a lot of us are, are still very connected to it and intend to believe what is seen there, right? The narrative that is crafted, you know, through, you know, whatever screen or device that you're, you know, you're watching it on and whatnot. And, uh, you know, like you, like you just said, it's like, you know, folks are like, why aren't you going to, you know, why aren't you, why aren't you going to Mexico? And it's like, well, I don't really know. And so I'm not necessarily relating that or correlating that with media, but media is powerful. Right. And so, you know, I know folks here in the North and, you know, in Chicago, there's not a lot. I mean, sure. We'll have groups go down to Mexico or whatever, but, I mean, what 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 have you seen? What are some of the things? I mean, because it's like you, you, like I said, man, you are you are hands on. You are there. Um, and then the second part of that is what, who and or what has informed you theologically? Um, you know, in 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 engaging in all this. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, when you're like on the ground, actually seeing things, um, and I've experienced this. You know, when we. <laughs> nine years ago or eight years ago when we were on the ground right after the Haiti earthquake or whatever, there, there's what happens on TV. Um, you know, if you're a news crew, you walk around and you want in your background the most interesting background possible. And so you find the worst thing that you could possibly find and you put that in the background and that becomes, you know, what the world sees as, as emblematic of the entire situation. So it's kind of like when I'm sure you run into people and you tell them, oh, I live in Chicago. And they're like, oh, man, are you going to get killed? Right, <laughs> you know, right. 
something that happens in one neighborhood or in one part of a very, very large city um, becomes emblematic of the entire city. And so, you know, if you get, uh, even in the, the worst of the moments uh, of last year, if you got more than three blocks away from where the 6,000 migrants were hanging out, you didn't even know anything was going on. Um, and as far as, you know, is what's actually happening at the border, it's, um, there's a lot of like, I would describe made for TV stuff going on. So like even I, I crossed the border the day that Trump declared a national emergency and it was completely laughable uh, <laughs> because like nothing had changed at the border. Like literally I, I go through the border multiple times per week. Nothing. Happened. The only thing that ever changed was when he deployed the Marines, they put up some more razor wire. And then the, at some point, Instead of there being so like, um, imagine you're crossing, uh, you're kind of like going through the toll booths, right? That's essentially what the border is. Uh, you're going through a toll, it, literally it's built exactly the same as a toll booth. And um, in front of every toll booth, there's normally, let's say there's 10 toll booths. There might be two border patrol agents kind of out there in front, just kind of, who knows what they're doing, just kind of watching cars in, in the lineup. Well, that went like right after everything blew up, Trump deployed like so every single line had two border patrol agents. Well, what are they doing? They're literally looking at their phones. They ain't got nothing to do. Uh, <laughs> and you started talking to, you know, I mean, one of the stories that San Diegans know, but, but a lot of people don't understand is when he sent the Marines to the border, they literally, because he hadn't declared martial law, there was nothing that they could do. They quite literally sat there and looked at their phones at the border. They didn't have guns. But the backstory is that these people that got deployed there were people who had just returned from Afghanistan with the promise they would not be redeployed for two years. And so those kid, those young men and women missed Christmas at home, which had been promised to them, to go sit at a border and look at their phone. People don't join the Marines because they want to look at their phone. They they join the Marines because they want to defend their country and go blow things up. They don't want to be yeah. soldiers, right? And so – you know, when I talk to, I have a friend who's a spouse of a high-ranking Marine um, who was like, really what that impacted, that little toy soldier moment is, that's a lot of 22-year-old kids that aren't going to re-up. And so the United States has invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in training and is just going to walk away because some moron in Washington decided to use them as toy soldiers for Fox News. You know, and so there's there are legitimate problems with, with the media manipulation that's going on. Um, and at the end of the day, there, there really is not a border crisis. The whole thing is completely and totally fabricated uh, for, you know, Trump riling up his base. So that's that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Um, and every, everybody who's there knows that. What, um, excuse me, um, how has, well, there's a couple of different things. Well, it was, uh, maybe I missed it, but what, what, who's informed you just theologically, man? Like what, what have you been into? Like to be like, oh man, this is, I need to go and like be on the ground and engage with this rather than like you said, you know, and again, I don't want to sound like, you know, uh, um, uh, negative about conferences and stuff, but you know, and you know, in some boardroom somewhere, philosophizing and theologizing and theorizing about it. You're just like, no, we're going to go do this and we're going to live it. And we're going to, we're going to engage in, in, in all this. Yeah. I mean, some of that's kind of how I'm wired. I'm kind of a, a cowboy missionary <laughs> at heart, you know, okay. so that's, that's, that's not new of me. Um, the theological uh, grounding that I, that I kind of latch onto in all of this comes from um, a woman named Alejandra uh, Ortiz. She lives in, um, 
in Tijuana. She's a Mexican. She did a lot of her theological studies uh, in the United States and, um, and and so on and so forth. Um, and so she's she's kind of around in the conference world. Uh, you may, may bump into her at some point. Um, but right when all of this was blowing up, a friend of mine, John Huckins, and his organization, uh, shoot, his name I can't remember off the top of my head. Sorry about that. No, it's all good. Uh, uh, he hosted a gathering of San Diego area religious leaders who might be interested in getting involved. So like literally the world's blowing up. It feels like in Tijuana, he puts together this gathering. They bring in like the head lawyer of, of uh, people who, who was representing the migrants uh, to the city of Tijuana and, and so on and so forth. And they brought in Ale, the, this theologian um, who provided this context. And so she starts off this meeting with like 30 church leaders from San Diego. And she says, this is a natural consequence of your actions. What is happening? So, and she kind of gives this framework of judgment and says, you know, who, who I can't remember. She read this Old Testament judgment to us about how, you know, you put yourself on this high and mighty nation, but what you kind of are is you're an oppressor and you've oppressed people. She gives the context for that. She says, you, you know, you've oppressed people for generations. And so their fact that they have cell phones and they found their way to the border is just a natural consequence of your own actions. The reason that they're here is because you've oppressed them, because you robbed them. You turned their countries into banana republics uh, run by the CIA for the betterment of, you know, uh, Haynes and, and American multinationals. Um, that, you know, you expect people to go make that $8 T-shirt that you that you uh, you buy it at Walmart, but you don't expect those people to ever want a better life, and so now they want a better life, and now you're mad. So um, that that helped provide for me was like a a clarion call to say, yeah, this is our response. This is our fault. It, I didn't make those decisions. I'm not a member of the CIA. I didn't, you know, take people out in Nicaragua or in Honduras or Guatemala, but. I benefit from it, whether or not I, I believe in it or not. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, cause that, well, and that brings up, you know, a couple of different things. So how have you, you know, navigated and, and wrestled with, you know, the, the race line and, and white fragility and just, you know, kind of the white savior complex and whatnot on, you know, how, how has, how has that, you know, been, been engaged with? Yep. And so that, that's something that, um, that I engage with all the time, you know, part of part of one of the hats that I wear is I lead mission trips in, in uh, northern Mexico with praying Pelican missions. Um, and it's something we navigate all the time because the whole reason that PPM is in northern Baja is to help restore these relationships <laughs> from generations of bad mission trips. You know, so you have this history of, of basically white people coming in and telling everybody what to do. Yeah. Uh, building things that people don't want or, or, you know, making people feel shame for being poor or so on and so forth, taking pictures, uh, throwing candy, <laughs> throwing candy and then going home. Um, um, so my, my engagement has always been sensitive to that. So my, my promise from day one is I would never just show up where I'm always, I'm only ever there by invitation. Um, other than that first time where I showed up and said, how can I help? Um, it's always been, you know, somebody sends me a, a a list of things that they need on WhatsApp, and I deliver okay. them. We we so like right now, what we're doing and have done for about ten months now is we've partnered with a local church in TJ. That's they're the ones doing the work. Um, they're the ones that are they're the heroes, 
And quite literally, I'm behind the scenes. Like I, like literally the pastor will text me a list of food that they need. I go to the grocery store in Mexico. I spend that money that people donated to, you know, to us. We spend that in the, in the local economy. I quietly go and deliver it. I don't take pictures. I don't, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not flaunting it. Um, yeah. I'm just kind of humbly serve, you know, because at the end of the day, the real champions of that migrant shelter are the, the volunteers of that church who run that migrant shelter day in and day out, 24 hours a day. It's not the rich white dude from San Diego in the minivan that shows up with food that's a hero. I'm not the hero. I'm just the connector. You know, somebody in the United States felt compelled to give. I'm going, literally going to a grocery store. I'm being that person's hands and feet and delivering it. And they say, thank you. I say, we'll see you later. And that's it. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of, I thought, I, I can't fight who I am. You know what I mean? Like there's something, I think there's, there's two different places that people land right now when it comes to like the white savior complex. It's, uh, there's people who completely want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, you know, because this is a problem, we shouldn't white people or, you know, rich white people or whatever you want to say, they shouldn't be involved in missions. They shouldn't be involved in doing good or so on and so forth because it's, a, it's like their weakness. I look at it as, is there a way we could perfect this? Is there a way that, um, we could take something that's been bad and and do it in a way that's respectful and actually helpful um, to take that that thing that's in me that says, Adam, you ought to do something um, and do it in a way that's re- that is helpful, <laughs> uh, that's more um, engaged in, in in the cultural hermeneutics of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that, you know, what how can I honor how can I lift up that local leadership? You know, so like, <laughs> you know, even when I'm talking to the the migrants at the shelter and they're, they know that I'm the one bringing food and money. And so they know they should they can ask me for things. I'm just deferring it right back to the pastor. I go, no, you know, if you need something, you need to go to the pastor because I'm not I just I'm under his authority <laughs> in this situation. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not your benevolent benefactor here. You're the pastor is the You're the local guy that's helping you. Hmm. Um that's a stance, you know, that you, 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 you know, I, the pastor that we work with is brilliant. He's got multiple master's degrees. He teaches at a, at a Christian school and he's a volunteer pastor at this church for the last 25 years. Like, wow. No, that, that he's an amazing, amazing person. Um, I would never do anything to step on his authority or to make it look like I'm doing something better than he, like, I'm not doing nothing. I'm just, you know, I'm not even, it's not even my money. You know, it's like, literally it's my time. Um, but you know, somebody else is, is, has given the money for me to do this. So, man, well, I mean, and that's, well, that's interesting that, you know, that it, you bring that up. I mean, I think as I've talked about, you know, just again, missions and, you know, and there's just, yeah, I, I've written a couple pieces and one of them was, you know, the title was between selfies and colonialism, you know, and, and really looking at, what what are some of the you know glamorized right effects of that? But it's like you you know this this nitty gritty work uh, is is really I think that's that's the for me that's when the work begins when the cameras have gone when the the reporters are left it's like okay now we can you know get down to it and whatnot now we're not just a soundbite um, I'm curious how 
and maybe you don't have folks like this anymore, but how have you dealt with some of the naysayers? I don't know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, whether it be family members or whether it be folks who continually want, you know, to, to, to argue the otherwise. And it's like, well, again, these people are just, they're breaking the laws and these, <clears throat> excuse me, these, you know, these folks are coming across the border who, you know, they're, they're the laws. And why would you want to go and help that? Or you're, you're, uh, Oh, what's the word that's been uh, is a part of that narrative is um, enabling them, right? You're enabling them to come and and do this and stuff, man. How and you know just in, again, what what are those some of those conversations look like? Um, and, and particularly for folks you know who aren't there and 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 whatnot. I you know like I've already shared. I I, I myself an evangelical. Most of my friends are conservative evangelicals, and so many of them many of them don't. Um, you know, from a political perspective, don't like what I'm doing, right? Um, and so what, what I ask them to think about and to consider is a couple of things. One, let's stack hands and agree that the poor people are the pawns in the situation. Um, there is a political game going on uh, in the United States that involves these individuals. In Mexico, there's a political game going on that most Americans aren't aware of that uh, these individuals in Honduras, in El Salvador, in Guatemala, what we're, you know, th th this whole conversation of this migration is political in nature. And, but can we set that aside and go, why should the poor suffer? You know, yeah. can we, as a humanitarian need, I, I don't, regardless of the politics, I don't need to meet a mother who just walked 1500 miles that's pregnant with a toddler and say, I'm not going to give you something to eat. Like that's just inhumane. That's not who we are as humans. Um, and so that's how we've engaged with, you know, from that humanitarian perspective, uh, we've asked people to set aside their politics and what they think about it and say, look, are you for or against suffering? Well, everyone is against suffering, right? So, well, unless, unless you work for Border Patrol. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there. so yeah, we've, I would say, you know, of all the money that we've raised, it's probably been a 50-50 thing. There's a lot of people who have said, hey, I'm giving you money for this because I, I don't want to see children suffer or I don't, so on and so forth, even though I don't think they should be coming here. Okay, that's... I don't care about that. Um, so there, there's that perspective. And the, the other thing that we've done that's been incredibly powerful, actually, is I've just invited anybody to go with me that wants to go. There you go. And so when people pop up on Nextdoor and say, you know, they give me their their Fox News soundbite about not doing anything um, or, you know, and it usually sounds like, well, are you feeding the homeless people in our neighborhood? You know, that's that's kind of it's the whataboutism that, that comes up. Um, I just say do you have four hours to give me and I'll take you and you can judge for yourself. I'm not going to, you know, you could just go and you can meet people. And then if, if you think that they're criminals, then you can think that. But if you haven't seen it with your own eyes, then I ask you not to judge. And so I've uh, actually taken a couple of people who were hardcore Trumpers who, um, you know, hate the very idea of this, you know, invasion and so on and so forth. And I just let them run their mouth on the way down there. And then we cross the border, they get real quiet. And they realize it's not what they think it is. And then we go and we meet people and they go, wow, everybody at the shelter, where, where are all the guys at? Well, the guys are out working <laughs> because they want to provide for their families. And all the moms are at the shelter during the day and they're taking care of the kids. Um, and so when they when they see that with their very own eyes, things change, you know, And because I, I think that's at the core of everything that's going on is this inability for people to talk. Right. And so when yeah. because neighbors don't know each other. It's easy to get on next door and, and bitch and whine, right? And so the first, like, that's what we do in our, as a, in our, with our community council. When you see two parties not getting along, like, hey, we're going to set up a tent 
right on your block and we're going to have coffee. Why don't you show up and get to know each other? You don't have to talk about these issues. You just have to talk. Um, so we essentially do that same thing with taking people to the migrant shelters, taking them across the border, uh, taking them to, um, you know, and most people, like I said earlier, don't even cross the border because they don't, it, it's a lot of times they just don't know how, or they don't, you know, you have to get special insurance for your car and things like that. So there's some, there's some barriers. So literally just saying, you know, get in the car, let's do this. Um, you know, it, it, that helps. Um, and even just the offer of saying, let's get in the car and do that usually helps too. So. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Uh, that's, uh, it's, it's been an approach I've taken just, you know, obviously you're not necessarily going to the border, but when folks are, you know, they talk about this, talk about that. It's like, well, you know, you know, just let's, let's go, let's go, let's, let's go there. Um, one of those places was of course, you know, Ferguson was just like, you know, knowing, having known and been a part of different uprisings. I'm like, I, I knew it was bigger than what, you know, even Don Lemon was talking about on, on CNN. So I was like, well, let's, let's go down there, you know, and then let me take more people down there and let's go, let's actually see what the hell is going on, you know, face to face and stuff. Um, I mean, I uh, think that's, that's faith lived out, right? That's like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not going to church faith. That's like going to Ferguson faith. And that's, that's different. You know, that's, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Um, and I think that's it because it brings up an interesting era. You know, you, you, you know, we started the podcast, which you said, you know, just the times that we that we live in, man. I'm, I'm, I'm I'd be curious uh, again. Some of the pictures I've seen, you know, I know you growing like all kind of stuff in, in y'all's backyard and fruit and vegetables and all kind of good stuff. Um, what do you how do you see the next decade playing out, man? And, 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 you know, what, what gives you both hope and what gives you both hope and, and, and hopelessness? Mm. I mean, what gives, what gives me hope is my engagement with the neighborhood. So, I mean, I give you a very simple example over something stupid. So, uh, like I, I mentioned before, I'm part of our, our community council. We had a little, you know, you've probably seen on Twitter, I'm very engaged in like trying to get uh, our park, uh, more accessible for everybody because there's basically homeless people have taken over the park and so there's just a san diego has a giant homelessness issue um but anyway so one of the one of the side issues was that this this park that we we all share has a gate that goes to a a private piece of property that everybody's kind of walked through for 50 years okay and so new owner to this property and that person's like look i don't want all these homeless people walking through my yard it's just ridiculous so I got to do something. And so, you know, what gives me hope is sitting down with those stakeholders at a meeting <laughs> around a table and in about, you know, so person on the right blows their steam off that they came to say, person on the left blows off their steam and you go, okay, well, cool. We can see where the disagreement is. Where can we agree? And to see 12 neighbors talk about something that they clearly, you know, have been, have been barking about for, for months and maybe years to sit down and within 30 minutes come to a, a compromise that provides hope. That's like, look, people at the end of the day, when people have relationships with one another, when they take the first step, when then do you get the community that you want? You know, did that, the person on the right get everything they wanted? No. The person on the left get everything they wanted? No. What they agreed on was a timed gate for this thing <laughs> where, you know, at, at dawn and dusk, the thing's going to open or close so that, you know, bad people can't use the, the that private property at night and, but good people during the day can. Um, little things like that provide the hope that that we need. You know that at the end of the day, it's not about um, 
it's not about the polarization and that's that's really what's giving me the, le the least hope you've probably even seen me say like um you know, I'm not, I can't be a part of a political party. You know, I, San Diego is completely run by Democratic Party. Um, that tends to be where I vote, but I couldn't be a member of that party because they're really no different than their Republican counterparts. Yeah. But it's not about can we do politics together? Can two people that, that disagree come together and come to a compromise? Because both parties have made compromising a sin. And so you've got this problem, you know, where so the Democrats want to take over the White House or they want to take over this. They don't want to work with the other side, which is like general politics 101. They just want to take over. And so since my side cannot vote your side, then what the hell with you? And that just further polarizes the other side. Yeah. When in, in reality, hope comes from when we, you know, it's kind of like that's what the that's what the hope of America is. It's not, you know, is my side going to outnumber your side so we can run things? Um, it's can we, even amongst our disagreements, come to some sort of a compromise? You know, you think about like the, the very founding of our country was a bunch of states coming together that had very different interests and laying some of each one of those interests were compromised at some level so that we could, you know, as Obama would say, form a more, you know, we perfect a more, or whatever, a more perfect union. We would create a more perfect union. Um, so I, I want to get back to that perfecting process. I think we've taken a huge, horrible, ugly turn. And, you know, I, I see signs of hope here and there. Um, <laughs> I just don't see that. I see that as a 10-year process, not a two-year process. I think the next two years is just going to suck. So. Interesting. No, man, I, I, um, yeah, one of the things I've taken up during the uh, the Trump era, and a lot of this stuff is just historically rooted, just as, as being black and Latinx, and his, you know, his just historically speaking, is is uh, you know the the notion of prepping and what that looks like, and um, in regards to you know the future and whatnot, and you know trying to stay off the paranoia bus, um, which is really easy. There's a stop on every corner, and it's and it's free to get on, and so it's really easy. Uh, to not get off because um, once you're on it's like you know it's really easy to get lost in that bus so um but at the same time it's like okay well what does that look like you know living in this country and I'm trying to ask myself like you know what does that look like raising a daughter who's got you know barring any you know unforeseen illness and disease or whatever um you know she's got her whole life in front of her and like what is the world she's inheriting um which is very different and so i'd be curious just to you know like how what have some of those conversations been like with your family um uh, you know, and, 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 you know, when we think about AI and, you know, the movement towards looking at, um, you know, now, you know, people talk about colonizing, you know, Mars and, and whatnot, um, you know, just, and again, those, I know those are like, like out there and I get, you know, and, and, and I know I follow a lot of astronomy stuff and astrophysics. And, and so again, I try not to get lost in that, <laughs> on that, uh, bus either. But my point is, is, is asking like, you know, what, what have you seen? What have you, and, and, you know, and, and, and engaged with that and whatnot? I think all of us, well, not all of us, but most of us want to definitely hold out hope for, I know some people are just, you know, holding out hope for 2020 will be, you know, the election will just be different. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, and, 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 you know, people like, oh, you know, the impeachment party, the impeachment party. Yeah. You know, some of the, the gifts are funny and everything, but I'm like, ah, so what? I mean, what's that, what's that, what's that going to mean? And, and what's that going to do? Nothing's really going to change. Right. So, 
Again, these are just my just these are just my 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 thoughts. I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts on on some of these you know these these things. And you know, granted, like I said, you're on the ground, and so you know you you see a different perspective, which is why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a I think of that. I don't know if you saw Saturday Night Live this last weekend, where they a bunch of pundits were talking about you know impeachment and all stuff, and the, and the the one commentator is like, nothing's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not going to impeach him. They're not. He's going to win in 2020. You know, it was just like that voice of pessimism that I think that's all of us. Um, you know, we all have a little bit of hope and a little bit of pessimism. You know, I think, um, you know, we talk about like gardening and things like that. It's not really rooted in in, uh, in prepping per, per se. But, um, you know, I, I think that I'm engaging with more and more people who are prepared to leave. And I think that that's an interesting place. I've never, I never would have thought that I'd live in a country where I have casual conversations with friends who are acquiring passports to other countries um, because they feel like, you know, things could disintegrate to the point where they need to uh, find prosperity in another country. And I think that that's, that's a dark place for our country to be, um, you know, and I think maybe it's, I'm just only recognizing that, um, you know, from my own privilege and whiteness that, you know, maybe other people have felt that way a long time. And I didn't, I never knew that. Um, but for, for, you know, my friends to bubble up and say, oh yeah, we, uh, I got this passport, you know, cause my family's, you know, Irish or whatever. Um, and you know, those kinds of things you're like, holy crap. Like we have, we have digressed as a country to being from being a place of people dreaming of immigrating to, to people dreaming of emigration. Um, that's, that's a scary thing. Um, you know, I do, I do, I have concerns about the, the level of surveillance and things like that, particularly because of the things that I'm engaged with um, at the border. You know, I don't know if you remember, there was a story where they were tracking journalists and activists and, um, and so on and so forth. And, and I've certainly experienced really weird questioning at the border. So I don't, I don't know if I'm on a, a watch list or not. I, I hope I'm not, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if I was. And so, yeah, you just wonder like, you know, who's monitoring your, devices and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's, you know, that's worrisome. I don't, I don't know at what point you get, you know, totally into prepper land and, <laughs> and jump, you know, jump the shark as, or, you know, jump into it with two feet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that because we cross the border all the time, I mean, our family, we do have a plan for what happens if Adam gets detained, you know, like who do you call? Um, how do you alert the media? So on and so forth, you know, because I feel like if you want to arrest me for serving and feeding the poor, then that's something I'm willing to go to jail for. So, um, but I'm not going to be quiet. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, that's deep. I mean, I, and that's, I mean, and that's, again, yes, that's, that's exactly part of it. I mean, I think that um, it, it is, it's just, it's interesting times. I think that <laughs> this era brings up and, Again, I don't want to, and I and I encourage anybody to, you know, to live in fear. I mean, and this kind of gets into the, you know, again, you know, you talked about being a pacifist. This kind of gets into the idea and notion of, you know, oh man, my cat. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, this happens a lot with uh, on the show, man. It's uh, uh, we just have a farm of animals, and so, anyways, the cat was trying to go after my my monitor. So I was like, I I don't want to have to pay for a new monitor, but um. Uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, like what that looks like um, in terms of owning a gun and, and guns, plural, for, you know, for some for some people and, and whatnot. And so, um, you know, it's, I know it's something that, you know, as a family, you know, we're still trying to work out ourselves and and and, 
you know, and think through, uh, and uh, and at the same time, you know, knowing the not just the responsibility, but you know, the issues that come with owning a gun, um, having a gun around, and 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 what that would look like, even if, say, for example, all hell does, you know, fall through, what is one gun gonna do against, you know, a, an army? <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I mean, it, those those are just some of the things I, I did not think I'd be asking myself at, you know, in my mid-40s. And so I just, I was curious what you, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's part of the passivism is is giving up that responsibility to, to God and saying, you know, you've you've carried us this far. Um, you know, if it's time my time to go, then okie doke. I mean, that's, um, I mean, I've certainly been in, in fairly, um, what most people consider dangerous situations. And even in the midst of all of that, like guns pointed at you and so on and so forth, um, I've never felt more secure in, in, than in being in those situations. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know. I think that's where the rubber meets the road on your faith. Um, I, I know personally that I would never want to die with a gun in my hand, even if it was defending myself. Um, I, I wouldn't want that to be my epitaph. You know, that's just not who I am personally. Um, and so that you know, that's part of part of my own choice. My own. I don't make that choice for other people in my house. I make that choice individually. So, um, but yeah, we are not a we are not a gun owning family <laughs> personally. Yeah. Uh, so, man, yeah. man, brother. Well, I mean, this this is you know this like I said, this is all is all interesting, man. How what what would you say then to you know I I have the privilege and, and sometimes the frustration of, of teaching uh, undergrads, uh, especially you know those now that we are freshman classes and you know now born in the in this uh, century, in this millennia. And so it's a different environment. And, but, it, you know, one of the things that doesn't particularly leave is just kind of that youthful hopefulness and optimism and whatnot, man. What would you, um, what would you say to folks, man, if you, you know, staring at a class of freshmen uh, and they're looking at, man, I just want to go out and change the world. And I want to get, you know, I do want to go down to the border. What, how would you engage with that? You know, that conversation, what, what would be your thoughts to them? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I have a first-year student myself, so I've, you know, I've, I'm well aware of kids born in 2000, 2001, uh, <laughs> and what they're thinking about. I, I love their idealism. I feel like, um, you know, I don't, I don't know about where you live, but I think 13 seniors out of 60 last year took a day off to volunteer at the polls last year to help. Um, you know, they couldn't vote themselves, but they wanted to make sure other people could vote. Um, and so, you know, you just see this this tremendous energy and just rampant idealism that uh, that youth brings, and that's awesome, um, and should be celebrated and encouraged and empowered. I think the, that's my biggest challenge. We don't see a lot of that. Uh, you know, we <laughs> we want to hold on to our power so much and our and our microphone so much that we don't want to give it up to 18, 19, 20 year olds very often. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I love I love what I'm seeing from you know this year's class maybe it's just because i'm i'm a dad of one um but yeah as far as getting engaged i say start working on your spanish um it's super important or any foreign language actually we run into haitians we run into people from cameroon from all over africa all over uh, latin america um you know there's even russians at the border trying to cross there's uh, anyways so work on your foreign languages uh do get involved um, don't be shy about volunteering for organizations like uh, El Otro Lado if you're interested in, in, in legal things, um, if you're able to help with um, 
you know, just volunteering at a migrant shelter or something like that, reach out, find those organizations. They're really not that hard to find. You can find them right in Chicago. A lot of what happens is when people do actually get asylum, and a lot of them still do because the laws haven't changed, just the, the vicious policies, a lot of them end up in places like Chicago because almost every single migrant has a place to go. They have family to stay with. Um, and there are a lot of them are ended up in places like Chicago where their family is, where they're working on their cases. And so there are, you know, refugee resettlement organizations they could get involved with right, right, you know, where they're going to school or even in their hometown. So I mean, whole, highly encourage people to get engaged. Um, you know, I, I look at immigration as the great hope of America. <laughs> you know, we're we're not getting any younger as a society. We, we need immigration to help us do that. Um, so, yeah, uh, just encourage them. If you're feeling led to do something, jump in with two feet. Man, I like that. I like that. I like that, man. That's that's good. And I mean, I think for me, that's kind of what uh, fuels my own hope and stuff. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, OK. All right. All right. Not to turn into um some old coot living up in the the mountains off grid and, and all that good stuff. Um, although I, I, I do, I do think about it quite often. Um, well, hey, was that? Absolutely. I mean, we, we have our own dream of uh, buying a goat ranch in Mexico. So, you know, we're, we have our, everybody has their little fantasies. I think it's just, that's part of what we do in our forties. <laughs> man, that is the truth, brother. That is the truth. We do. My wife and I have a, a dream of having they have the goats and, and some horses and some horses and, and maybe even a cow. I've always liked the, well, I mean, I grew up around that, you know, in, in Texas and stuff. So I, I, I still always had a, have an affinity towards, which is why we, you know, have so many damn cats and dogs that are just <laughs> running all over the place here in the house. But, um, wow, brother, this is, this has been, uh, an enriching conversation. Again, I really appreciate you just taking the time. Um, I know you're, like I said, hands on and, and whatnot. Where can folks find you, man? Let's say they want to bring you out for humanitarian effort and to kind of maybe soothe some relations you know, in the United Nations, man. Where could, where could, uh, where could folks find you? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's probably my, my favorite social media. <laughs> so I'm just McLean A on Twitter. Um, and then, you know, if you want to reach me on my email, it's just McLean A at gmail.com. I mean, that's, I keep it simple in my life. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much the same username on every social media platform. So that's yeah. what's up. That's what's up, man. Well, and again, as always, those listening, I'll put these in the show notes and, um, you know, y'all can and follow up. I think one of the reasons I, uh, I really wanted to, you know, have a conversation, have this conversation with you is one is because I really respect what you're doing. But also, number two, I mean, you know, let's just be honest, as a white man uh, in the mid 40s, I mean, you know, there's. There are a lot of folks, you know, there's a lot of white men in their mid forties that just don't get it. It's like, you know, it's like a, it's like a cutoff, you know, it's like you get in thirties and white and it's like, oh my gosh. And so to see that, you know, what you're doing and what's, and what's happening and, and to still be trying to press forward. Um, I think that's, that's great. And, and also just to give folks, you know, particularly my listenership, just, you know, just an idea of, of folks who are on the ground, hands on. Uh, working with folks, you know, in, in that rather than just talking about it, which you do, but rather than just talking about it and or, and or researching, I mean, I, I include me as a, as a, as academic in that environment as well. So appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I hope people feel free to reach out. I love the show. Love that you're talking about real things. You're not, uh, you know, pussyfooting around. And that's, that's why I'm here. I heard that, brother. I heard that. Yes, sir. 